Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Steel Wars is brought to you by Harry's Shavers. Harry's is so confident that you are going to love their blades that they're going to give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. Or just click the link in the show notes. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. As well as the Making Star Wars Podcast Network. This episode of Steel Wars features occasional coarse language. If you're around sensitive ears, move along. This is not the Steel Wars episode you are looking for. Hey, you guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am comedian Steel Saunders, and I do love Star Wars! And we are here live at the Scum and Villainy Fan Cantina in Hollywood, California, to discuss just a slightly controversial film. So many YouTube videos, so many tweets, so many opportunities lost. We will never know the correlation between Ray's and Snoke's three-quarter pant capris. There has to be a connection. They're the only people that wear three-quarter pants in all of Star Wars. They must be related or shop at the same mall. I just wish that, like, Snoke's torturing had, like, a red carpet special beforehand so someone could, like, ask Snoke, like, you must be nervous. This is a big torture for you. But I must know. Love the robe. Love the pants. Love the slippers. Who are you wearing? (laughs) So much outrage. I watched a YouTube video today, and it was of a very angry man... Yelling at a Ray action figure <laughs> that she is a worthless piece of plastic. That is going to kill it on Tinder. <laughs> Whatever you think about it, and, and, and sometimes not liking something can be fun if you do it the right way, but love a Star Wars film like a child, dislike a Star Wars film like an adult. And, and while you're at it, don't embarrass the rest of us because it's already pretty iffy that we talk about this space film all the time. <laughs> so let's just keep it, like, on the real, okay? Let's bring up our guests and uh, we will chat about this amazing film that has got us all talking. 
Let's go and uh, round of applause as you please. He's the editor-in-chief of Making Star Wars and co-host of our twice-monthly premium bonus show, Making Star Wars. Please welcome the sunglassed man himself. It's Jason Ward. She's a writer for Nerd Reactor and going into The Last Jedi was a passionate supporter of Kelly Marie Tran and a cosplayer of Rose Tico and my Jimmy Kimmel buddy. It's Laura Syracuse! Our next guest covers Marvel, Stephen King, Steven Spielberg and of course Star Wars for Entertainment Weekly. Those big cover stories are all due to him. He has a secret shame of his love of Chevy Chase Christmas films and his constant urging for me to call him the Brez. Welcome Anthony Bresnikan. Our next guest made content history in co-hosting the very first live call-in show trailer viewing that also broke a rather expensive couch. She's a regular on Collider Jedi Council and Entertainment Tonight, it's Ash Crozen! And our final guest is the creative force behind the Han Solo Smugglers Gambit audio dramas at Star Wars Celebration and the writer and director of the beloved road trip comedy Star Wars themed movie Fanboys. It's writer, director, and Star Wars fan, Kyle Newman! How you guys doing? Oh, good. Kyle, can I borrow your dark glasses? I just want to be as pretentious. I feel comfortable now. I feel more comfortable. Dude, those sunglasses are not going to make you as pretentious as Jason Ward. It takes years of internet gatekeeping. I'll have to get to that, yeah. <laughs> Jason, now... Still. You run a little website called makingstarwars.com, is dot it? Com. Dot, dot com. com. Dot com. Mark so, Hamill's makingstarwars.com. Okay, I, only, I, don't, I don't Google stuff. Yeah. I just go to Mark Hamill tweets to find out what's going on. So, makingstarwars.net. Now, it's your business to find out what's going to happen in these films before they come out. When, when you watch the film, in retrospect, what did you find most surprising? The most surprising thing to me was that Holdo was a huge hero in, in the film because every little micro thing that got out about Holdo over the course of the production painted her at odds with Poe Dameron and the rest of the Rebels. So the whole time, I'm convinced that she's probably a bad guy. And, that, and I knew that there was that scene where they have to like come and do the bridge, if you will. And so with that, I was like, why would Poe Dameron do that unless she's bad? And so the whole time, like, that was the big surprise to me, was, was like, that she was one of the best heroes in the film. I felt the same way. Are, are, you, are you saying that your rumors were misogynist? Uh, 100%. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt about Ash Crossan before I got to know her. Yeah. <laughs> Very devilish. Yeah, but un uh, unlike Holdo, at least Holdo can like pick one hair color. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering, Jason, did you have any hint of like the Force connection or the um, the projection of Luke Skywalker? I I knew that he did a big trick at the end. 
and that if there was going to be some ruse to it, but I didn't actually know what it was. And you know that he was, uh, what do you even call that? Uh, astral projecting? I don't know. That's what I've been calling it. Yeah. <laughs> force, force projection. I, I, I think it's called ruining childhoods. <laughs> oh, right, also, right. Like, <laughs> no, um, because there was uh, Adam Driver was involved in some of the the shoot in Ireland. And that just made it super hard to figure out because there was a time when we did question, are they having a connection? Is that what it is? So we thought he went there, but it was because he, they were, he was there to read lines and stuff and to be like off, off camera so they could get their performance one-to-one. He also says, I noticed on uh, subsequent viewings, you could, when they're doing the force Skype thing, um, <laughs> he and Ray, uh, he says you couldn't be doing this because the, uh, the effort would kill you. Yeah. Which I think is interesting foreshadowing for what happens it, it, at the end. It's weird. You say for Skype. When they were doing that, that a little banner didn't come down and say, powered by Verizon. <laughs> what, no, you know what's cool about that, though? Is at the very end of the film, Snoke's dead. And they're, they're like still doing it. So it won't kill her. No, but what he's saying is, if you were to project yourself to me here on this starship... Oh, that would kill... That effort gotcha. would kill you. Touching, follow, playing, follow, playing patty follow. cakes while you force yeah. time. That could yeah. kill you. They still force Skype after he died, though. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> People say that, but we still FaceTime after the death of Steve Jobs. <laughs> what an analogy. Okay. <laughs> Bang. End of that. We're going to be ending some debates. <laughs> it's not going to be in a tasteful way, but we will end a few debates. Like, I got to know you through The Force Awakens, and I think that's how a lot of people found out about the MakingStarWars.net website. How... Did your like reporting style change at all from The Force Awakens to The Last Jedi? Like a different sort of strategy? Yeah. Well, when we started, I didn't really get that if I said things. Like there were people on Reddit and things like that that would take what you said super seriously and, like, and take it in really far directions. So as I went on, I got like way more guarded. And it got, it's way harder to write something. It was a lot more, in some ways more fun because I didn't have to worry about as much. And now if I say something or I just use the wrong, uh, not the wisest word choice or something like that, people take it the wrong way. Yeah, you, know? you are known for your wise choices of words. Oh, <laughs> I'll make... T- <laughs> yeah, no comment. It's true, though. You could, you know, casually say something and, uh, and uh, you set off a whole series of theories right. by accident. Yeah, or it's like EW says, hey, something's coming. And people are like, oh, it's the movie. It's going to be online tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Laura I have a bit of a secret to tell you obviously like you know we did a podcast and it was based around how hyped you were about Kelly Marie Tran and uh, Rose Tico being in the film and just after I saw the film for the first time you were going in and I was coming out and that's what she said I'd forgotten <laughs> I couldn't remember if Rose was alive or not at the end of the film. Like, that bit of her sitting on the bed, I just... I, I hadn't clicked with me. Then I watched it the next time. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. But because I saw you and you're like, how was it? And I just went, I just got to go. And I just walked off on you. Oh, my God. That was so funny because I saw you. I was like, oh, my God, so great to see you. And you're like, no. And walked away from me. I was just like, oh, okay. You, you went in, you you cosplaying over this character and you know sometimes people like like Jackie my wife is always like you know people get so amped about these characters before they've done anything in in the film 
And for you, did Rose Tico live up to the hype? Uh, yes. Um, I was, every, everyone kept telling me, like, I was like, no, she's going to be great. And, like, in, internally I was thinking, oh, shit. Oh, crap. Hopefully, yes, please be good. And, um, and then when I watched it and I saw the whole thing and I saw her dynamics, like, she actually... Um, I mean, I think anything that is beyond the stereotype of what the Asian person is, um, is good for me. And, uh, but she overhyped that for me, too. Like, um, Ryan really gave her such a well-developed character. Like, we saw the highs and lows of Rose Tico. And so um, I felt really, I, was re I, I started crying because at first I was like, oh, she's angry. And then she was, like, fangirling over him. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is how I am, and so it's okay. And, um... But then, and then when you start, started seeing her like caring and like on Canto Bright and like, and just developed as a person, I just felt like so emotional. Like I was like, this is a real person that you gave me a whole movie of this person going up and down with emotions, and you gave me so much of her. And and after the movie, I was just like, I'm so glad she didn't die. Um, hopefully, <laughs> and um. I just felt really, really happy. About, I felt satisfied as a person. Other than the kiss at the end, I was just kind of like, eh. but um, you didn't like the kiss. I um, Laura's more of a full-on tongue type of girl. Like it's John Boyega. If you're gonna go, you're gonna go deep for John Boyega. <laughs> oh, you just did, you didn't mind the idea of a kiss, no, but I, you didn't like the way it was executed. No, I I, I wasn't a fan of the kiss because it's so anticlimactic. Like where it's like, oh, I I, I don't want to say you, silly. It's like it's like kiss, and I'm like, okay. Um, in my mind, I was like, she's fangirling over him. It's a fantasy in her head that, like, she had this, like, adrenaline rush. It's like, I'm just going to shoot my shot. She's not really, I don't think she's really in love with him. Uh, I think she just has this fantasy, like, we went on this adventure, and, like, the adrenaline, I almost died for you. I'm going to kiss you. Um, I, but I'm not, I'm not big on, like, love kind of stories. So, um, but, I mean, she did it. I was just like, you know, I would do the same. So, it's okay. One of the big criticisms online that I disagree with is that Rose's character is pointless in the film. What? I'm sorry. Pointless. Oh. <laughs> I, you probably didn't want to hear it. <laughs> and I've said that, that like, the point is that she shows um, Finn that there's, there's more to fight for than just oh. her and Ray. And, and so you yeah, can't... You, you might not like the point, but you can't say... It's pointless. You just don't agree with the point. Yeah, because of her, Finn realized he's a hero. Like, he would have just left and, like, there would be no story. And then she wouldn't have, like, she's the person who found the idea of, like, of, the, of, of going to the ship and finding that guy. And um, it's because of her, she, it made him realize what a hero he was, which I'm happy because I hate when the Asian person gets, in, uh, in other movies, the Asian person is enabled by the white savior or enabled by another character. She's the character that enables the hero. She's and the catalyst. Yeah, she's the catalyst to, like, Finn, like, becoming the hero that he is. Can I sing yeah. a little backup for her in praise of Rose? Yeah. She also shows um, Finn who has been conscripted into the First Order. Like, he's a child soldier, essentially. And he, he tries to escape that. Then he ends up with the Rebellion, and there he also gets his ass handed to him through that. So, like, he just wants to get clear of the fighting. And she shows him through her story about, first they mined us, then they bombed us, and now my sister has lost her life fighting them. Like, she shows there is no running from the First Order, that there's nowhere you can go where you will be safe, so you may as well stand up for what you believe in. And I think that's a really important thing for someone from his limited perspective 
uh, which isn't necessarily his fault, but he is limited by what he sees, just to realize, no, actually, I do have to fight. And then she also has the best line in the end of the movie. Yep. Like, that was the, like, it, it really made you pause and just be like, oh, my God, this is, and it, it makes you The think, motto like, of 2018. Yeah, like, we're, we're, like, we save things we love. Like, we're not... Oh, we're sa- we save the things we love. Sorry, I, ha- I had a food, so... Um, That's how we win. This by is my voice. Not by fighting yeah. what we hate, but saving what saving we love. Saving what we love. I, can I say something? Of course I, you can. The message, the message of that is fantastic, and I, and I can agree with it. I felt like she said I didn't buy the, the kiss. I felt like such an impeccably directed movie, but it was so weird blocked. It didn't... It was really awkward. She kissed and then fainted, and it just felt really weird. And I felt like for the message, which was important to really connect, there had to be some sacrifice involved in it. I wanted her to say, you don't fight what you hate, you save what you love. Saved him, taught him the lesson, imparted this to him, and it just felt like she should have died in that moment. Like, he didn't die. (laughs) And I know she should have. I just felt like it would have hit home, because I'm also thinking, all right, next film, what is her role then? Where do you go with Rose beyond just we don't want to kill her because we killed her sister? So... I just felt like it's more impactful. If you're going to do something, commit to it, have balls, see it through. And I feel like the message has more weight if she – it didn't even have to get romantic for me. You know? well, it just was like, wait, where did this come from? I, I didn't buy that. I noticed that when you said that she probably should have died, you looked in such an opposite direction of Laura. <laughs> I, told her, I told her beforehand. <laughs> And I said, I like Rose, and I love Kelly Marie Tran. I got to meet her. She's an amazing person. So I'm, I'm really happy for her. The movie is a tremendous showcase for her. She killed it on the biggest stage with fantastic actors. But I thought, like, regardless of that, the message of it, how do you make the message have the most impact? I felt like for her to impart that, then pass by actually sacrificing herself and saving what she loved, he's left with the resonance of something to then carry into the next film. I don't know where it goes from there. I feel like now they're going to be dating and it's going to be weird next... I, I, I don't know where it goes. It's, it's this weird new trilogy ring theory where at the end of the film there's a poorly framed emotional moment. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like this chewy walking past Leia which I was just instantly... This Still is offended by that. Unforgivable. <laughs> and, and then they've done it. So it's, it's like this... Star Wars trope at the end of the film and at the end of Rogue One, that bizarre hand-holding scene that just went on for way too long. <laughs> so, um, there you go. There's the new trilogy ring theory. Now, Anthony Bresnikan, sorry, the Brez. By the way, I don't ask, I ask him not yes, to call does. me that. Yes, he does. <laughs> Brez is fine. The Brez is, that's as pretentious as wearing sunglasses in a dark bar, if you ask me. <laughs> you, need, you need sunglasses? <laughs> Hey, you're the one who texted me, and I said, oh, Mr. Bresnikin. You said, the Brez. Bresnikin's my dad's name. Call, <laughs> call me the Brez. <laughs> God, it's all fun and games. <laughs> now, you uh, got to speak to the cast and crew all throughout the production, which we're very grateful for. The articles, you're very generous. You go the extra yards, which we appreciate. Thanks. Was there anything after seeing the film, any conversations that you had with the cast and crew that kind of like shed new light? Like, are oh, they were trying to tell me something that after the film I'm like, ah. Yes, actually, there were things in the stories. I work really hard not to put spoilers out there for people because I don't want it to be spoiled for me and inevitably I do that is what most non-sunglasses people do (laughs) (laughs) 
But like, no, you know, m- most readers would be uh, understandably upset. Like, if I were to say, like, I know this twist that happens, and here it is. Like, I, most people don't want that. And I find those things out throughout reporting. But I actually will try to protect the surprises of the narrative by not revealing them. But sometimes someone will say something, and I'll be like, that's a cool detail. And they've said it without any hint that that's a spoiler. And then after I see the movie, I'm like, oh, damn, I wish I hadn't put that in a story. Like, for instance, um, when I wrote about the, uh, the Crystal Foxes, like we did this whole piece in Entertainment Weekly about sort of what their actual name is and, uh, and, and, and sort of just what is that creature? How does it fit in? It's from Crate, obviously. Uh, the creature shop uh, chief, Neil Scanlon, said like they... They, they wanted the idea of like a, an animal that lives on this land, that it's not a wasteland, that there's actually life there, but it, it takes on the characteristics of the landscape. So it has these sort of crystals instead of fur. Like, oh, that's cool. And then he's like, yeah, and like they lead the rebels through these caverns there uh, and illuminate their way. And I'm like, oh, cool. There are, like I took that to be like there are caves on Crate. Not a huge spoiler. And then in the movie when they're like, how are we, how we going to get out of here? There's only one way out. And I was like, oh, no, man. I don't think anyone is upset about that. I actually went back to that story and took that quote out. Oh, and then no. I found out after the fact that Ryan had called some of the publicists and was like, uh, what do we do? And they were like, uh, it doesn't read like a spoiler, so people aren't going to know it's a spoiler. Like, but had I known, oh, a twist in the climax is how are they going to get out of here? I would never have put that in the story. So things like that, I'm kind of like, ugh, I, I didn't mean for that to be a spoiler, but I feel like it kind of yeah. was. Yeah, and then on the next page, there was that double-page spread about how rocks float. So Yeah, rocks float, and then I was like, here's how Luke dies. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ashley. Yes. First up, mm. I have to ask you. Mm. Like, I know you've seen the film a few times. Yes. Did you notice those little bird things on Luke's Island? Where? They were everywhere. In the movie? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Sounds pretty amazing. A, what were they? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but okay. I, they, they should merge no, them No, Porgs eventually. lived up to the hype, if you're wondering how I felt. I love Porgs. <laughs> I love them. They weren't overused. They were fine. Ash Crossan is the queen of Porgs. Yes. <laughs> She's I was like the Jane the Goodall of of porgs. <laughs> what Jane? Yeah. So I, I I picture you like um, Danny DeVito in one of the Batman when he was the penguin. You picture me like Danny DeVito. No, and you're walking around no, and all I, the I porgs are following it. you. What's wrong with you? They're just following you around Central Park. She's like Daenerys Targaryen, but she like she comes out into battle and then, like instead of swooping over her giant dragons, it's like three little porgs. <laughs> Fall to the earth like pot pies. People are relentless, though. Like, just today on Twitter, Christian Harloff tagged me in a video of a porg getting impaled by a lightsaber. What's wrong with you guys? Oh, yeah, someone said that. they applaud that. Someone, <laughs> someone photoshopped, which I was just begging for, that the lightsaber does turn on at the start. Yeah, somebody did it. And it doesn't work out well. No. What did you think of Chewbacca once he had that... Um, that sweet, sweet oh roast pork. Oh, my pole. God. That moment, I screamed in the theater. So we were, like, at the premiere, and my, my antagonist throughout this whole thing has been Ken Napsok. He's the one that's like, tweet Ashley, freaking pork recipes. And I'm sitting two rows behind him just by chance, <laughs> and that scene comes on, and I'm just like, no! And you just hear Ken cracking up. Like, two rows I felt the whole theater just be, like, staring at me. It, it was the closest of... 
ever been to going vegan. <laughs> he, but the thing is, why? Like he already killed them. Just take a bite. Like, <laughs> you already did it. What about that photo with the feathers in his mouth? Like, I think they. I think there are deleted scenes of just wanton pork violence. <laughs> the feast scene. We, we watched the the trailer together. Yes, we did. I broke your couch. The couch is actually it's from Living Spaces, and it something is broken inside it. But I don't know. I, I haven't been able to find what it is. Okay. But it made a huge noise. It was like. Loudest crack. I think one of uh, what sort of started the the huge wave of against the Last Jedi is it was against what people expected happened in the film. Do you know what I mean? People have had like either you know thirty five years or two years, you know how you want to measure it to find Mm -hmm. out what happened to Luke Skywalker and then afterwards. How do you think like the trailers and the promo like prepared us? Yeah, it literally said in the trailer, this is not going to go the way you think. I mean, it was right. Th- Here's the thing with Force Awakens, I felt like, even though we hadn't met these characters yet, I don't know if you guys felt this way, I felt like the movie was pretty easy to figure out before we even saw it. It was pretty predictable, and the trailers just lent to that. And The Last Jedi was, com- I had no idea what was going to happen in that movie beyond like some basic character pairings. Like, I had no idea. And I thought the trailers were brilliant that way. Do you think. The prom- I don't know. It's hard to work out like... Like, you, like say, when you were interviewing Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. do you sort of look back now and go... Like, did he know that it was going to have this polarising effect? I don't know. I mean, wasn't it the same way with the prequels? Like, I feel like it's, it's always been this way. And this is... Like, I don't know. I feel like I've had conversations with Pablo about this. And he's like, it's always like this. This is not new. This isn't like this <laughs> crazy new thing that's dividing the fan base. It, this always happens. The difference, I do think there's a difference. There is a there is division, but uh, there's a with the prequels, we knew mythologically where it was going. It was just how you were connecting the dots, and this is fresh territory. And I'm fine, me personally, I'm fine with them going anywhere with it as long as they narratively justify it. So, I think that's where there's a difference. That's where there is derision and division. Yeah, it, it's like the prequels had that. And, and that was sort of the curse of it, that it had this preordained path mm-hmm. that you knew where everything was going to... Like, where the parts had to end up. You knew there was Clone Wars, but you know the clones were going to be fighting. The, you didn't know how things were going to play out. Yeah. You didn't know how it was going to get to the point where they were at odds on Mustafar. But you knew uh, on an intellectual level and how the myth was going to play out. And I think in here, people were like, wait, what the F just happened? Like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Is that the only way we could have gotten there? And I think that's where, you know, that's where my mind is still processing. And I think that's where, that's where I think a lot of fans are. You yeah. know, I walk down the street, like my son got out of the car the other day at a coffee shop, and he ripped up this paper Millennium Falcon, he threw it on the ground, he's like, I'm done with Star Wars, he's four. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. But then some guy sitting on the that, coffee bar, he goes, that kid must have seen The Last Jedi. And then someone else goes, oh, that thing sucked. And then I walk inside and people are like, that movie blows. And I was like, went to pick up my dry cleaning and some guy's like, you're a big Star Wars fan? Why'd it suck? I'm like, oh my God. And I'm defending it. And I'm like, I kind of see where they're all coming from. But I'm also the defender in the social circles where I go because I understand what the, I, can, I can justify it and see what, what they were doing but I don't think it was programmed, baked into the DNA of the movie. And I think the shortcomings of Force Awakens, in hindsight, 
set them up with some questions and precipices that they jumped into. So that's a bigger thing. But I think that's what the difference is between the prequels and this is because prequels are just like, where's my Han Solo? You know, it was like that kind of stuff. And this is a totally different type of issue. I do feel like the office therapist, like with what you were saying, like people yeah. come to me to talk about their feelings about Star Wars. Very tired. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've had a lot of conversations the past month, and it's been a hard month. <laughs> I love that there's all these, you know, people like going, you, you, you ruined my childhood. And, that's and, not, and, that's and, so fake. No, no, but just stop. If but you say that, just stop. Just grow up and stop. But it your, son's your childhood tweeting, is still your, there. Your, your son's tweeting, you, you ruined can, my now. I did ruin his now. He hasn't seen it. His favorite character, he's only seen A New Hope, and I realized a good way, if you have kids, for them to experience um, a Star Wars film and you want to break it in is don't watch it at home where they can get up and walk around and play with dumb Legos. Sit them in a car, strap them in, and force them to watch it on repeat like Clockwork Orange. So he watched it like five times in a row and his favorite character is Dianoga. <laughs> Dianoga, yes. His favorite character is the Trash Compactor Monster. It's his first Star Wars Lego. He watched the whole movie five times. I was like, what did you love? He's like, Trash Compactor Monster. <laughs> it's his favorite character. And then he ripped up Which a Which today, Falcon. if that movie were new today, people would be like, that Trash Compactor Monster was stupid. Just an eye on a True. tendril. True, but and, and I think I, there is a lot of comparison going on in the fan community. Like, well, they didn't do this in A New Hope, and they didn't explain... Tarkin or the Emperor, and you're like, hold on a second. That was an all-in film in 1977. He scraped it together. He barely got it going. He put every great idea he could into that film, not knowing he was going to do prequels or sequels. And that stands on its own. It's like he's just making the best movie, not knowing if I'm ever going to need to have a backstory. So take your backstory argument, stuff it in your pocket, sit on it. It's not valid. Okay, I will take your stuffed backstory argument, get it yes. back out of my pocket. Put it here, yeah. let's talk about it then. And also say, we didn't know much about the Emperor by the time Return of the Jedi finished. Ah, except we felt the Emperor. We felt the effects of the Empire and the Emperor and his tyranny permeate every single character in their lives. Han Solo is Han Solo. He is the nihilist. He is He is the self-centered, self-serving guy. He is because he's been forced to. It's imperial rule. That's why he's jury-rigged his ship. That's why he does what he does. That's why he's only out for himself. That's the nature of the galaxy. Luke, even in the way he lives, what he comes from, how he dresses, it's, it's this trickle-down of the oppression. Princess Leia, everyone is so clearly drawn, and they're all characters and reflections of what the Empire means and does. That is void in Force Awakens. We don't get a sense of the, the threat of the First Order. We don't know why there's a First Order. We don't know how it affects, other than you know, we're kind of told in novels how it affects. Most people don't know who, what the hell Hosnian Prime was, unless you've read the books or know about deleted scenes. It's not in the DNA on screen of the film. Uh, so it's void of the politics, and consequently void of some of the emotional consequence of it. So. You do want to know how Snoke became the head of the Imperial Remnant. How did he get this machine? How did he exist for a, a thousand years unbeknownst to the Jedi and the Sith? How is he um, on screen more powerful than the Emperor, forcing, allowing two people to cross space and time and touch each other? Uh, it's kind of important to me. And he doesn't have to say, hi, my name's Bill. It's my real name. I'm from a planet called, you know, Rathus Prime. He, I don't need that. What I want to know is that he says just something like I've waited a thousand years for them to play their game. Now I've 
the real prophecy. Something that steeps it in a little more importance. So it's not just some asshat guy that comes out of nowhere that owns everything the emperor used to own. How did he get It's kind of important. And people can say, oh, it's a Tarkin. We didn't know what he did. Or we didn't know what the emperor did. We did because we also got that story. And this is coming nine films in, 40 years in. And if you're going to make a sequel, you then have to justify and have fun with it. It's a challenge for the filmmaker and the storyteller to say, how can I make this fresh? But how can I also kind of give hints as to why it evolved like that. And I know everyone's like, read Chuck Wendig's books. I, I read them. Don't. I didn't love them. I, I'm sorry. They were void of fairy tale, void of fantasy, unnecessarily violent. And I felt like I don't want to find out how the First Order came to be in a Chuck Wendig book. I want to find out some of that in the DNA of these films. So I love these films, but... Yes, you can love the movies and still have criticisms that are valid without people telling you you're wrong or insane. And it's okay as fans to get together and talk about it and say, this didn't make sense for me. This doesn't feel right. I still love the movie. I'm going to watch it more than any other movie that came out in 2017. Uh, I already have. But I can still have issues with it, and that's what's part of being a fan and part of what's fun about it is to get into that, roll up your sleeves and talk about it, and why did this not work, why did it? But I can see there's people like, you don't need that, and for them, they didn't need it. But for me, I felt like it was essential and vital and one of those missing ingredients in the soup. Yeah, and I think it's important to clarify that it's okay to find faults in a film as long as those faults come from a sane not getting an action figure and beating it over a table and yelling at it place. Like, so for you, if Snoke had mentioned, like, I've been waiting this for a thousand years, would... Like, just say that line was in there. Would that put you, like, more at ease with the whole... Yeah. Yes, because it was an unceremonious end, which is fine. I love the surprise of that. And what I liked about this film was there was subjection of um, expectation. But I don't want that to happen just for the sake of it. So it feels like these TV-type cuts. Uh, It's got to have an impact or surprise to it or riff off what came before. Because, like I said, you are coming nine films in, 40 years in. It's a pop culture phenomenon. Everybody on this planet knows what we're talking about. So, therefore, that is the challenge and the fun of this type of storytelling is to then riff off that and play with it and elevate it and challenge it. And I felt like they were like, we don't need to tell you that because Ray doesn't need to know that. Okay, that's fine. But if you applied that to every single story, it'd be bad storytelling. It's just you have to give your audience that's fun with context. And uh, I felt that was underserved. Is your contention that, like, because I sort of look back at previous films and go, well, they did that in this. So just, that's Star Wars. But you're saying that, like, the context is that it's the ninth film. So on one hand, everyone's saying, well, it's so different and Star Wars needed to change, so thank God they finally did it. On the other hand, we're like, well, it's just Star Wars and you can default to these things. So you can't have both. Uh, So there's a lot of issues for me, like... On one hand, everyone's publicly talking about how this is the democratization of the force. And I'm like, that's great. I love that idea. Only thing is, they didn't do that. They essentially took somebody and made her a new chosen one. She's been, the force calls to you. This lightsaber's for you. It's Arthurian legend. She's picked. She's had visions since she was born. Who, what girl? Everything is steeped towards this girl is special. It wasn't like Finn, dude, you got to learn the force. Quick, learn it. And he's like, okay. And he learns it. That's the democratization of the force. And he's like, sets up a Congo line. He's like, let's all learn the force. And they all learn the force. That's the democratization of the force. Not creating a new chosen one and publicly telling everybody we democratized it. But really what you did was you made a new chosen one. But you don't want to ever answer a question about it. That's fine. But I think there's a major disconnect between what they pitched it as and what we got. And 
I'm fine with it being what it is, but don't call it what it's not. So that's, I'm, that's where I'm at in my fandom. I'm like, things could have been done better. I like it, but it could have been better. But things could always be done better. But it's Star Wars. You're up here. It's the goddamn Olympics. Deliver. You know what I mean? You get yeah. one race. That's your last Jedi. That's it. That's your episode eight forever. Deal. Do it. Make it great. You got to think about all those things. You got to say, are we checking all those boxes so it makes one, two, three, four, five, six, Rogue One, everything better? And if it's not, and you're just saying, whatever, that's, that's not good enough. It's not. So while I enjoyed the movie for what it was, is it a great movie? Is it impeccably directed? He's a badass director. He's a great human being. What a, he's a thoughtful, empathetic, smart, brilliant guy. He directed a great movie. I don't think the script was all there. That's, that's kind of what my problem is. Now, when we spoke on the podcast, we discussed Luke. And, yeah. and Luke's very important to both of us. And this, this is one thing that people aren't getting angry enough about about this film. <laughs> Is that Luke Skywalker in the film doesn't say, I only know one truth. Robbed. Robbed. I just wanted to know how you felt when Luke had the lightsaber and you're like, all right, he's about to ignite it, and it's the blue lightsaber. I just thought of you instantly. What would you notice was yellow? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was God. Because like, I wasn't really paying attention to like the hilt, and I was just like, he's going to do it, and it's like, blue. And I was like, oh, steel. Yeah, it's, it's it actually did this. It was, like, <laughs> it was it, a short saber. It, it's strange when you talk about something nonstop for two years, you do astral project into everyone's screening of the film. Ignite yeah. the green. <laughs> Ignite the green shirts. But when they had the first flashback and they had him with the green lightsaber, I, in my head I was like, he's not fighting with this green lightsaber. Yeah. Like they've, they wouldn't have shown it then. And so I was sort of just like... Deal with it. Let's move <laughs> on. It. Let's see what happens. Was that enough for you? This is my podcast. He now. did I'm technically invite Ignite the Green. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I... See, I, I sort of thought about it afterwards and I did a podcast with Jackie on the way to the airport and I sort of come to this realisation that Ignite the Green was... I don't know, this sounds a bit like much, but it was like a metaphor for like, I just want Luke to be a hero oh. and that's... I don't have much of an imagination, so like that's how he does it, by igniting a green lightsaber and running around killing everyone. So that's why I'm not writing Star Wars films, and there's other reasons. But I sort of realised, like, I just want him to be a hero and, like, inspire again, because that was like... Like, when I was a little kid, and I, I found that he didn't just cut the Emperor with the lightsaber so weird when I was little. Like, I, I really had to think about it a lot, about why don't you just just cut him just cut him and i it took me like years to sort of work out what that message was so the surprising thing is i'm shocked at how at peace i am with it i should have an action figure of luke skywalker and be banging it on the table did this really happen this is the second time you've mentioned that did somebody really do that yeah 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 i watched it this morning this youtube video <laughs> of this dude screaming at a ray figure bangs it against the table yeah is he single <laughs> he's single he's single forever <laughs> ray is the ray is a, my favorite character ray and kylo are my favorite characters since 1980 it has nothing to do with me liking them as characters that i think they could have done even more and could have gone further with some of these things but what I wanted to ask you, yeah. you said that you wanted Luke to tell Yoda that the Jedi must end. Yes. How, how did you feel about Luke and Yoda's interaction? I liked it. I loved the ultimate message. The most powerful message for me in the film was Yoda telling him to pass on uh, 
you know, the, the education of failure is just as important as your, as your strengths. And I thought it was really, really well done, and it was poignant. Um, I very much, as soon as that trailer came out, I've always, I never believed that Luke would have restarted the Jedi Order. I've accepted it. I just never believed he would have dishonored his father's sacrifice and the balancing of the Force and all that to just set up a new academy and give people Jedi mullet braids and do it all over and be like, forget that. You know, let's just do it again. And it really, and I know there's a disconnect. George Lucas doesn't like the EU because they did that, but he knew it would kept the Empire alive. In the DNA of Return of the Jedi, Luke kind of rejects Jedi and Sith, and he embraces love, the same thing Anakin embraced. And he goes, and that's the only way he kind of, un, he rejects his elders, and there's the only way he unlocks his father and the Emperor's blindsided by it. And it's a new way of doing things. And I just don't believe he would have regressed and then recreated a Jedi Order. But I was like, so great, he's finally ending it, you know, and saying it has to end. Um, so I like that. And you know what it is? It's, I took weeks, and about a week ago, I was like, this is my issue. And I don't know if I'm ever gonna get over it, or maybe I will, because my, my estimation of these movies just always changes, and you learn so much from each film. But it was, I, I can accept the fact that Luke, they gave him the same backstory as Han Solo, and he ran away from his problems. And I just, that was a little cheap, but I was like, they both ran away from essentially Snoke and his meddling with politics and family. I was like, okay, the two greatest heroes of galactic civil war just disappear, fine. And then he towers over his nephew, and Luke, the man who could look into uh, the greatest evil to him. The, the scariest thing on the earth is even more scary than, than the emperor is that his father is the darkest thing. And he sees one kernel of good, and he hangs everything on that, and he does that leap of faith. That he towers over his, his nephew in his pajamas drinking his little milk, and he's like, I'm going to murder you. In a momentary lapse of reason, I believe that Luke could have that momentary lapse. I accept that. The fact that Luke then failed to or decided not to remedy that in any way, knowing that his cataclysmic misjudgment then created the greatest evil, that then he checked out to let everyone suffer. That's where I said, I don't know if that's what I would have done. And I'm still grappling with that because I don't feel like that was, you could still get Luke going to Octo, checking out, turning himself off in the force, making a mistake in that ill judgment. But you could also find out that he tried something and it didn't work. We know that Obi-Wan and Yoda tried to overthrow the Emperor and Anakin and they only were 50-50 in that. You could, but the fact that Luke didn't even try was it a momentary lapse of reason or was it a complete mental breakdown? And so they've justified it as a momentary lapse of reason, but it, it's, there's greater ramifications. And that, I think, at the core of it is the ma ma a major rift in where fans are like, ruined your childhood. It didn't ruin your childhood, but you can talk about these things in an intelligent way. And so that's what, so I have to accept it now because that is, I love Star Wars, I'm not going anywhere. It's in my life forever. I live and bleed Star Wars. I just have to find a way to wrap my head around it. And I haven't wrapped my head around that. And I feel like that is, it was cheap storytelling to begin with, to have the two greatest heroes just check out and run away from a character they didn't give me a backstory. Snoke did it all. He got to Ben too early. He tormented the Skywalker solo families. Han ran away. It's all Snoke. But yeah, we're not affording it. And then I, I, it's hard for me to still justify Luke's. Now, Jason, you're a big prequel guy. Yeah. Now, at the end of the prequels, some bad stuff happened and our two heroes both ran away. Do you see a, a similar path or there, there, there is a difference? Well, my, my take on it is that it, if our old heroes live up to our expectations, we don't need new ones. And, like, 
where we were going to always need a new generation to come in and save the day. Because I kind of feel like my interpretation of Star Wars from, from the prequels to the original trilogy in that order is that the next generation are going to save us. Luke Skywalker's going to save us because Uncle Obi-Wan and Daddy Skywalker, they didn't do it right. So now Luke comes in, and his perspective is still more correct than Yoda and Obi-Wan, who think, at first anyways, you've got to kill him. You've got to go fight your dad. They, they kind of changed that over time, what, what that meant. But they initially are telling Luke, you need to, you're going to have to face him. And uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, you have to murder him, but that's what you're led to believe back in the day anyway. So with, with that in mind, we end up in this place where if those guys were, were, were perfect, then Ray, Finn, and Poe, they're never going to be anything to us. Like, that, they, they have to, 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 to drop the ball at some point. And I think that it, it ties into all, I think all of the, th I want to do a podcast with Kyle so bad now. Um, because of everything that you said, I could talk about like, for like 45 minutes, but like, like Rose. Rose is, in my opinion, Rose is Finn's broom boy. Like, we got Luke Skywalker, he does this great thing, broom boys heard the myth, now at the end he's dreaming of it, we know in 20 years the galaxy's gonna have a new savior if they need it, that kid's coming. Rose to Finn, she was, he was a janitor, on the Starkiller base and then kind of goes through the ranks but then ends up defecting. Rose is the same thing. She's effectively the, the janitor of the resistance. She's the maintenance person. And then by the end of that movie, she's doing exactly what Finn does. And so Finn learns, I think, the message that Skywalker puts out there in that moment too. I think he could. I think that if there's a good opportunity and when we get to nine, that Rose is going to be our Finn 2.0 and those people who are going to be the leaders of the new resistance or the new rebellion, I should say, are going to know that, yeah, it is important that we save lives. It is important that it, that person you think is nobody is going to be the person that comes in and, and saves the day or ruins your day. And that's, that's, that's why I think it was good that Rose survived because at that moment now, we have the opportunity for that idea to, to, to go forward. I like that. Yeah, but, but if they don't do it in nine, I totally take it all back. But yeah. here's the thing. You, you talked about the, the, the heroes failing or the next generation having to do it. And, I, and I, Obi-Wan and Yoda failed. Yeah. They didn't quit. What they did was then they started, they learned from Qui-Gon. They learned how to become better Jedis. They defaulted and said, you're our new master. Qui-Gon right. of the Living Force, we're going to learn from you because you did it right. And they stood vigil, and they were hoping a next generation was coming, thus the new hope. Um, it was really like Han and Luke check out. They didn't have, they weren't, didn't leave plans behind. They didn't have what? any machinations of helping anyone they loved or care about the greater universe. They just checked out. Yeah, but that's Yoda. That's, but that's, but that's like Obi-Wan had a job. Yoda it, just went, I'm chilling, dude. To me, it felt like narrative convenience. You can do it with Han, and Han did it because Luke did it. Han left after that because they got to his son, mm. because Luke failed his son. So then if you're going to do it with one of the characters, you then have to narratively somehow show emotionally so I can accept and feel it in The Last Jedi to then have, so I can go back to, to The Force Awakens and go, oh God, that's really emotionally what broke Han. And it didn't do that thing. Like I like these movies to be reflexive and connect and elevate. And those are just oppor opportunities like staring you in the face. Like Kylo Ren talks about killing his past. All movie. Why weren't the people guard like Snoke rains lightning at his feet and 
all he has to say is, like, the, the Praetorian guards snap to attention with their weapons, and he's, you could say, your knights have ran answer to me now. So then when he kills the Praetorian guards, he's literally fucking killing his past. That's the same movie. He's fighting the same fucking people, only now it's imbued with more. It's right there in the DNA, what they shot. They're all wearing different armor, different weapons. It's just like, did you, I mean, maybe they're going somewhere with the Knights of Ren, but it was such like an impactful part of that force back. And then it just felt like, well, let's forget that idea. It felt like a little bit of posturing between two filmmakers. Like, this was important, screw you. Like, the lightsaber over the shoulder to me, I was waiting for Billy Crystal to come back. I'll take it if nobody wants it. It was just like, it was like the Academy Awards, like spoof. I was, it was like MTV Movie Awards. I still can't wrap my head around. He could have done anything other than that that had no, a slightly more dig. Yes, he, he could have. Because if that moment, you're only was saying that now up. because they did that. And the no, fact no, no, is, no, no, no. It, do, it, no, it breaks no. my heart. This is the thing. I record not, every not conversation I have. It's, we can go back and listen. It's unforgivably ridiculous. Okay, here's the deal. And I, I, this I moment, just can't. This just moment can't. has been built up for two years, like like more so that like we thought Mark Hamill was going to be so in the meta Force Awakens. It's so meta to do that. You can't. You can't. You. I see what people say. Well, what else can you do? He could say it means nothing to me now. It's yours. He could discard it in a different way. But to do it like he's a Mark's brother is. That's where it's. That's where it's like. Oh, JJ. There's this conversation going. Screw you. Oh. Uh, I'm Hux, I'm in the middle of my big speech, which is comparable and passionate to what I'm doing on Starkiller Base. I'm gonna interrupt you and call you hugs. Like, they're making fun of it. Your mask, your dumb mask, you loser with your dumb mask that JJ made important, screw your mask. It was constantly <laughs> making fun of what the other, oh, the resistance, let's just stick with that for 20 minutes. We're the rebellion already. It was constantly shitting on his ideas. I was like, is this conscious? Or am I just picking up on it that way? Or it was, I felt like there was so much posturing between one person's ideas and the discarding of that. And part of it is, I got into an argument with someone online, not a, not a bad one, but it was just like, when you're storytelling, like, Kyle, when you're always I, making I, stuff if, up. If I can give you any advice, is don't argue with people I, I know. I'm, I'm checking after today. Are so you I'm in real life? It's so Star much Wars. more sad. Um, no, but he, he, they're like, well, you're always making stories up as you go. And you are. But... You know, it's you, you. At a certain point, you are passing the baton to another filmmaker, and that's the world we're living in. But it felt like there wasn't connective tissue between him sitting down and him saying, "This is what I was intending," and him saying, "That's great, I'll continue." It was a lot of, eh, "Screw you," and not having to listen to any of it. And I wonder if nine's going to be a rejection of eight in some way. And someone else was like, "Who cares what George Lucas thinks?" You know, because I, I know he doesn't really like this movie. Uh, it's. Who cares what he thinks? That's like inviting, you know, doing a sequel to Hamlet and George Lucas comes or Shakespeare comes and you're like, who cares what that guy thinks? You, you do have to care what that guy thinks. You know what I mean? Then you do have to respect what he intended or it was in the DNA of his six films. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that point. That is a, a big can of worms. But that moment, walking up the Jedi steps, handing over the lightsaber for two years, like no line, it's, it's all going to be cheesy. And, you know, me and Jason had talked about on the Patreon thing. It's like, he's throwing it. We thought he was going to throw it in the water. I was pissed. Yeah. I was like, you call that a throw, Skywalker? Love For that real. thing in the walker. Because there was that footage of Ray. Like Tommy Wiseau and, like, just missed Yeah. It. 
Because there was that footage of Ray underwater, and I'm like, oh, she's going in there to get the lightsaber. Yeah. And then I was like preempting that everyone was going to say, how does she know how to swim? And I was so disappointed. I thought yeah. that was well, going to be the big outrage about the film. People do are arguing about that, though, and I'm like, she clearly can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's just is so athletic. She's like scaling Star Destroyer interior. But how kick can she swim? She ki- I know, she kicks ass. So it's like, I don't, that's ridiculous. Ray is badass. But what about those like little telling moments with Luke, though? Where like when, when the, when the uh, tree's about to be burned up and then it catches on fire, he flips out. He yes. goes to run in there and get the books. Uh, so so I, don't think, I don't think Luke has completely gone all the way to the I'm quitting side. I think, I think he has one foot in. He's in the pity party a bit. But I kind of think that it, like my interpretation of the movie, which is just my personal interpretation, was that it, Luke knew he was going to have to do something that sucked for him. And that being there wasn't fun. It was painful. He knew what was coming next wasn't going to be cool. They've introduced things into like the um, visual dictionary. Like uh, I think that he's like the white uh, costume is like his death costume, like his ceremonial death robes. And he's wearing that when like Ray shows up. But he's also wearing it in the flashback, so I kind of don't get how it makes complete sense. But, um, but with, with, that, with that in mind, like, there are those like, little tiny moments where you know, he's not completely soul. He doesn't completely run. I think, I think, he, I think he's, you're Standing right. Standing up. Step back. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, no, I just want to send this to Kyle. No, but I mean, you know, he, he, definitely, he definitely wants to like, do the right thing. And he thinks, I mean, the moment in Jedi, he throws the saber on the ground, an act of pacifism is what saves the galaxy. Picking that lightsaber back up is what ruins it again. And so when he gets to the island and, and has decided to run, I still think that like, there's sort of an internal logic there that makes sense to the pacifist idea and to the fact that if he hadn't done it, they might not be in the situation that they're in today. I'm okay with throwing yeah. the saber. Yeah, yeah. The reason we're talking about it if you're not, you're not okay with it being a laugh. It was not. It, yeah. It, if, if it was done in a way that. If it was done properly, we wouldn't be divided on it. And sure. is my opinion. And Star cool, Wars. Cool. I look at Star Wars and. The Kyle. 1977, we, we, dude. It, Star Wars came out. It's a fairy tale. It's fantasy. It's escape from an economic strife, war, politics, Nixon, bullshit. And it was pure fairy tale. And I look at this, and it's not. It's it's trying to be right now. And that's a, people are in a shit year, and they wanted escape. And and they gave you a mirror, and they didn't give me fairy tale. And that is something I'm still at odds with. And that's that's something that is in the. It's not even about story. It's in the DNA baked into what the fuck Star Wars is mm-hmm. to me, and why it worked as a phenomenon, as a zeitgeist thing. And this, as good as the movie is, I sit there and I go, it, it's. It's not functioning on the level it used to or should. And I don't want someone to say, well, it's 40 years. Someone's got to reinvent it. Fuck yourself. It doesn't have to be reinvented. <laughs> We're sitting here all wearing Star Wars stuff. It's killing it. They're opening Star Wars. Land. I don't need to be told that it needs to be reinvented. Sure. I, that's my problem with it. And so throwing a saber over the shoulder is like a real big slap in the face. Just like deal with it. It's like that's not how you tell myth. I don't see that in... In the Odyssey, I don't see that in classic great myth or fairy tale. And that stuff s- sticks out like a sore thumb to me. That is how Ash opens 50% of her Christmas gifts. <laughs> it's me on Bumble. Um, <laughs> what, what do you, uh, I've heard a little bit of this, um, Anthony, about The Force Awakens open with a line that was perceived to be a diss 
against the prequels and George Lucas. Or Santeca saying, this will make things right, which I, I, I've heard that people in the production say, oh, that, we didn't even think about that, which... Yeah, I, right. I asked Brian Burke. I, went to the, I saw it with Brian Burke, and after the movie, I said, you did that on purpose. He's like, I swear to God, it's funny. We did not, I swear, we didn't intend... No one brought it up. No one thought we were doing that. And he told me, he's like, it wasn't intentional. These people that J.J. Abrams gets to watch this, these films... I don't know what they'd... Like, for, to not pick up on that and then at the end not to go, Chewie and Leia, they probably should hug. Like, they, they need better friends to come watch these screeners. But I... At one point, I felt like... Maybe I'm wrong, you might know, that Ray had a different relationship to Leia. A lot of that stuff was changed in post-production on The Force Awakens. And I think some of that is still embedded in why she goes to Rey instead of Chewbacca. So Maybe. I feel like when I read the novel, even the novel, so this tells me in the, in the novelization with the script he read, it says she embraces Rey the way only a mother could. That's in the novelization by Alan Dean Foster. So I felt like he read a script that she was related, and of course she would go to her before Chewbacca. But because that's been changed, then we're sitting around griping, and all he can say is, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. But he's not going to say, oh, yeah, she used to be so-and-so and I changed it. I don't know. I th- that's what I've heard. Jason might know more with his spot. I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely, you know, when you watch The Force Awakens, there's, there's ghosts of previous scripts in there for sure. Well, what do you think about the theory that Ryan or the production was dismissing concepts that J.J. Abrams introduced in The Force Awakens with the Snoke dissing the mask, with the, the tossing of the saber, like that sort of thing? With Hux getting um, absolutely belittled in a very hilarious manner. I don't think that was. I don't think that was a diss. The beli- the belittling thing. I think that's just playing with that character. Like he's he's very self-important, and that's how you take a little wind out of him. Uh, I do think. Look, this is what happens when you don't have a single guiding vision, the way there was George Lucas on the previous films. You're giving these films to different filmmakers, and they're improvising in a way, and they're handing it off, and they're starting new scenes and JJ Ziggs and Ryan Zags. And I think it's not. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So much. I don't think it's like meant as a diss, as in I'm going to insult you by getting rid of this. I think it's just... Uh, maybe Ryan didn't connect as much with certain things in the in the franchise. I wonder about like JJ taking on Episode Nine and being like, "You've gotten rid of all of the toys. Like, you've gotten rid of uh, Snoke. Apparently, gotten rid of Phasma. Although Ryan says Phasma is the oh Kenny God, no. is the Kenny from South Park of <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. He actually said that at the Academy screening of that the is, movie. So. That, is, that is some puffer upset. jacket that she's wearing. She can't come back. I nicknamed her Captain Asthma after the first movie because she, she did nothing. Yeah, I, I'm sort of like, if she does come back, like I feel like I should be annoyed about it, but I'm just like, eh. You should be annoyed. 
I'm okay with her coming back. I want to see her come back and see the mask come off. And she has that just her beautiful uh, Gwendolyn Christie face with like a burned eye and half of her face where okay, the mask, mask was Helmetless up. cool. That's cool. No more chrome. Sorry, sorry. So much of that movie, though, was like written before we had ever seen Force Awakens. Like, so we don't necessarily know what was sort of a let's toss that out. Like, like Snoke, for instance. I agree with what you're saying when you break it down. But at the same time, was Snoke supposed to be a question? Or, or did we make it, did we culturally yeah. get together no, and make you, it a question? Do you know who started this, right? I was in LA, this before I lived here, and I was flying back. It was maybe the start of December 2015. Mm-hmm. So, like, at the airport, the news agents or the, the bookstore, whatever, it was low, like, out the front, there was 50 Star Wars books. It was, it was peak Star Wars. And... I was about to fly back to Australia and I picked up a, a copy of a little publication called Entertainment Weekly. And there was an article by a, a young maverick writer. And the there was a, a thing about Snoke and saying it was, he was really mysterious. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, this character's really mysterious. We've got to wonder who this is now. Bresnikan, it's your fault. Wow. <laughs> Jacques. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, in the film itself, like the film as a text, I don't. I, I didn't leave Force Awakens going like, "Who's Snoke? What's he about?" Like the movie, I don't. I didn't feel like it sold me that like that bill of goods. No, but you have to if you're gonna do a sequel to the two greatest villains of all time. You got to go. Why? Is it back? Who is pulling the strings? How are they different? Oh, yeah. On a, it doesn't, they don't have to do it in the movie in dialogue. They don't have to do it, but they have to have an answer to that, and I have to feel like they have an answer to that, and I don't feel... And the thing, the thing with Snoke is, for me, it's... Luke could have even said something like, I, I can't beat him. I can't go back. She's like, why the hell did you quit? And he's like, he, I, he can't be beaten. I can't do it. Luke's... He had, that tells me why Luke gave up why he felt like he couldn't even try to rectify his mistake. And it also tells me that Snoke has, he's been around for 10,000 years. He's a celestial. I don't need to know that he's a celestial, but I need to know that in Luke's eyes, he's undefeatable. I need to feel it from an emotional place, what this character means, because he is the reason Han and Luke ran away. That's it. I have to feel it. Fair enough. That's what I got to feel. And so I'm not asking for backstory. I'm not asking for emotional data. Pablo's books are badass. I love them because it's given me more context than was in the movie. Brian Young is online. He's fansplaining everything, thank God, because a lot of it, I don't... I, look, he's a, Brian Young is, is a badass. He knows everything. He, and I learned so much reading Brian Young, and we go back and forth. I've done prequel appreciation panels with Brian Young. He's a brilliant Star Wars mind. You guys got to read his threads. But I'm like, yep. every franchise needs Brian Young. Where is Brian Young in the DC Universe saving that shit? Because... He is, he's literally giving political context and everything to people that don't read the books. Dude, I don't need a 30-tweet thread <laughs> from Brian Young about how the but, word Martha but apparently, is so important. Right? But apparently, we do. Fandom does. Because fandom's like, what? Hosnian Prime? What? The New Republic blew up? The whole fleet was lost? What are you, there were all the senators were on those planets? What are you talking? Nobody knows what was going on politically. The economic, political situation was not adequately set up in The Force Awakens. And Ryan Johnson's not his fault. 
it just wasn't in the DNA for him, and he didn't take the time in this film to go back and fill in some of those my, gaps. I have two, two, two small children, and they definitely said that they wanted to understand the political socioeconomic situation of the galaxy. <laughs> that was one of the flaws they did. One point. of them, yeah. That but, does sound like something your children yeah, would say, though. Right? Eight, eight and five. The five-year-old was like, but the, but the socioeconomic... More taxation, right? Yeah. They were like... Anthony's raising some very woke young ladies. <laughs> well, my, my, my whole thing, though, is that like, I think Force Awakens should have done it. Number one, yeah. at some point, they probably knew what they were going to be doing for Last Jedi while Force Awakens was pretty far along. And that I think that Force Awakens should have been the one that said, here's who Homeboy is. Like, here's what he's about. Because does anyone know that Leia started the Resistance because the New Republic wasn't believing no. the threat of Snoke? And then she plucked Poe out of the New Republic yeah. military to lead... But That's kind of it's it's interesting and it's it gives a context to why there is a resistance. Why now? Why is the first order just rearing their head? She's running kind of like a shadow yeah. military assault. Like these sort of, of covert don't know that. And I'm five hours into this this new fr- trilogy and Poe was like, Hey, I'm Poe, nice to meet you. I'm like your two of your main three characters just met on screen five hours into this seven-hour epic. It's weird to me. But I, yeah, I but don't it's only a week later. We've only seen a week. Well, I just assumed he met her after Starkiller Base was I, destroyed. I yelled, so take that scene. Who was it? Somebody was on Twitter, though, saying, throughout the movies, all Ray hears is that she's nobody. She's this worthless scavenger in the first film. In this one, Kylo Ren tells her she's nobody. Luke Skywalker says, who are you? And when she meets Poe at the end, she's like, yeah, I'm Ray." He's like, I know who you are. Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know, I can't claim credit for that, but somebody online tweeted that, and I was like, that actually is pretty good. Yeah. I like, I, it's, it's a good rationalization of it. I didn't feel that. I want to, uh, if I'm watching a Star Wars movie, I want to feel I it. Uh, and I didn't, but that's a great, that's a great point. But you learn those things by talking about it, and that's, I think we, we give Star Wars a pass a lot of times, because collectively our Consciousness. We study it. We talk about it online. We report about it. We all are committed to it, and we learn more from each other about it, which is cool. Well, like we I, have to like look at what the uh, resistance does, though. They just resist. They're in secret. It's not like a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's like stuff might go down. We got to be ready for it, and then it does go down. So the point wasn't that I think that there's a resistance. I think the point of the resistance is how do we get to open rebellion, and I think that's what Last Jedi did. So I think Ryan Johnson got us there. And, and wow. th- that's that's my that, that was like my reading of it though, and that's and I and I am with you though. You shouldn't buy a Journey to Force Awakens book to understand the film. I don't think that yeah. should ever be a prerequisite for anything. Well, you should still buy it because oh, it's a great book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but it's uh, what it's it's that kind of situation where if they had done that, we would have got a bunch of exposition setting up why there's a resistance. Then we get to eight, kill the resistance, start the start the uh, rebellion. And then it would have been kind of a waste of, of time. You don't, you don't have to only tell things in exposition. Sure. There are, there's good writing tells it through character. And I could learn, like I could learn about Snoke, feel who he is by how Luke is afraid or why he's done it. So there's an emotional repercussion to the choice. Right. And it doesn't have to be exposition. But I think that J.J. set up the uh, trilogy and then Ryan Johnson took it where it was going to go, where it needs to go, where, where, where I think they, they want it to go. They. And in doing that, he didn't answer that previous guy stuff. And I think that calls back to the idea that there's not one person making these movies, yeah. that they keep passing them along. But I, think that, like, I don't think like, some of what happens in Last Jedi is Ryan Johnson's fault. 
think it's more on, on the bad robot team. Like when they make Rebels and they film, they do the Rebels recon afterwards, but yeah. they, they film it before the cartoon comes out. Mm-hmm. So it's out that week. And they answer the questions that people are going to have from that cartoon. And my thing's always like, why don't you put the answers to the questions in the cartoon and then there's not those questions. And I think that sometimes when they're making these movies, they rely on all the books and all the other things that we're going to buy to fill in that stuff for... Like when you just point out... Like when you point out how the Resistance got started with Princess Leia, they were ignoring the threat, got Poe Dameron, uh, great pilot in uh, The New Republic or whatever it was called. And... I know that because I read, I think, Bloodline or something. Bloodline's a great book. Yeah. yeah. But That's the best one. But that point of what the Resistance is compared to the Republic or whatever it was called in The Last Jedi, is it's void from the movie completely except that it's called The Resistance. And I think there's that... They fall back on, on the books and the comics, which are awesome, but there's sometimes things slip through the cracks that go to those books that would enrich the mainstream I have one Funko Pop, the Blu-rays, and I'll go to the movies on the first week. Jimmy the Ticket Buyer. You know that dude, right? So he's not getting catered for. But I also think when you talk about the differences in the script is making the films every two years, you're submitting the script the day that the film's premiering, and so you're not... You're like writing a sequel to like a third draft or a second draft. Except for the fact that like pumping out films every two years makes crazy bank. I I think it's the the economic windfall is why they're doing it. They're immediately trying to recoup. Um, I do feel like it would benefit from an extra year of development. And they have so many great, brilliant people up at Lucasfilm. From Pablo and Leland, Matt Martin, Rain, all those people on Story Group. You have Dave Filoni. I, I want to feel like all those resources are really being utilized and people aren't autonomously just going, I'm going to make a personal Star Wars film for me. And let's say, well, hold on. Let's, let's actually, that's cool you want to do that, but let's also make that fit into this 40-year phenomenon, you know, so we're not derailing things. And I, I think it would enrich it if they just utilized all those resources and maybe took a little more time and weren't so quick to do it. You could have a Star Wars film every year and a, like, year and a half. I wouldn't complain. Take a little more time. I, I think like 18 months a film is the... Like, Here's that's one thing I heard. It was the red carpet you know, interviews and stuff, and I was watching at StarWars.com, and they were talking about no one... They'd never screened this movie for more than eight people at a time. Uh, that's crazy to me. Not that you have to focus group and listen to like a hive mind, but you learn by screening your movie for an audience. That's the nature of it. You want to feel what people are connecting with, what's working, what's not, and you learn from that. And then as the filmmaker, you master that and you go do what you want to do, author it the way you want. So I just think it's short-sighted to not even screen it and get that experience for a movie that's meant to be screened in mass. So I was like, whoa, that's a red flag to me. Hopefully they learn from some of these things and say, well, it's healthy, let's do these things. Let's, let's workshop the the story a little more let's anticipate how people might react you know and there's a lot of right now justifying and explaining and entrenching and we meant to do that but i don't know if all of it they i don't think they think they weren't expecting the division 
I, that's what I believe. I wouldn't think they're like, we're going to go show those fans and divide them. I, don't, I think they're blindsided by it. And you asked that earlier to somebody here, and I don't think they were expecting that. If you've ever wondered how I get such a close, smooth-looking shave, then you've probably got too much time on your hands. But if you really want to know, it's because I use Harry's Shavers, which is the sponsor of this week's episode of Steel Wars. If you've got a New Year's resolution to be smarter with your finances or to take better physical care of yourself, Harry's can tick both those boxes. Because if you're a regular shaver through Harry's, you can save about $100 a year. And you'll also look pretty slick as Harry's has won numerous grooming awards. And they'll keep you looking and feeling great. Personally, my New Year's resolution is more content. And Harry's is helping with that as well by sponsoring this episode. But over 3 million people have made the switch to Harry's because they're all about delivering great product at a great price. Jeff and Andy were just two ordinary guys who were fed up. Just fed up. I, I want I want I want to hear. I want an interview. Jeff and Andy, come on the podcast. I want to hear how fed up you were. I want a dramatic recreation. Are they shaving and they were just like, Oh, enough! Andy! Yes, Jeff, I hear you. But anyway, they were fed up with getting charged an arm and a leg for razor blades. So they started Harry's to fix shaving. Now, here's the deal. Harry's is so confident, and I, 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 I like a shaving company with confidence, that they're going to give you a trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com forward slash steel wars. You just cover the shipping, which when I do it, which when I did it was $3, which is pretty amazing to get a $13 trial pack for free, which features a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trim-up blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover, which I'm actually using this week because I'm in New York. i got to look slick in the Big Apple, you guys. You know it. That link again to get your free trial set. Go to harrys.com forward slash steel wars right now or later, but preferably now, or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you, Harrys. We touched on it before about George Lucas, who created the whole franchise, sold it to Disney. He knew what he was doing. He was a big boy. I'm interested from all the panel, do do you think it's important, like whether he did or not, if George Lucas enjoys the films after he left? And, 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 And there's also the thing of like, is it possible? Is it possible for Peter Cetera to enjoy the work of Chicago after he leaves. They're my people. They're my people. Jason, what do you think? No, I, I, I don't... I, I want George Lucas to, to like them. I hope that he does. But I'm with you. I, I think it would be impossible because I think no matter what, it's like going into your old house and somebody's redecorated it and repainted it. Even if it looks better than when it was your house, you're still going to be like, I wouldn't have done that or I wouldn't have done that and that stuff is going to stick out to you. Um, I wish George hadn't walked away, but since he walked away, went to his Octu, I'm just like, 
I guess I just I want to care, but I just don't now because he quit. Walked if he kept doing pushed, it, though. I would think, care more. But do you think he was? Okay. Do you think he walked? I, I do. You, you, you turn well, he he walked all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, what do you no, think? I um I think George disconnected with the franchise kind of like where I feel like George kind of like when I look at his vision of how he did it, and I feel like he's just kind of disconnected where like you know what he goes. I don't think he cares. Because I, I think he does care about his baby that, you know, I gave it, but he walked away and he's like, I don't think he, when he watches it, I think, of course, he's going to have his own mentality of what he, he visioned, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be, it's, it's strong enough to be like, saying outright, like, no, this is, this is not right. Yeah. But it's like, I, I think he just kind of was like, you know, I wouldn't do it this way, but oh well, and just go into his billion dollar home and, yeah. and, and be like, okay, whatever. Because I remember seeing there was when they had the red carpet for The Force Awakens, and the camera would be on him when he didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know, like he didn't know the camera was on him. He's just walking around with his wife, and he looks like the most miserable. Like it's just like this is my Twilight Zone episode where I he said so everyone else got to see a Star Wars film but me, and so here you go, walk in and watch this Star Wars film, and he's like. It's what I've always wanted, and now I hate it. It was just watching the look on his face. It was just like, stop! Like, put him down. He is miserable. Uh, what do you think, Anthony? Do you think his impression of the film is important? Uh, I don't know if other people here have kids, but when you have them, your parents, the grandparents, like to think that they're wise and they're going to offer some tips and help. And when you're like, and sometimes they do. And other times you're like, no, we got it. Times are different now. It's okay. And there's always a like, like a disconnect. Like, well, I knew better. That's a good analogy. You know better, right? You know what I mean? Like, so I think George thought he was going to come in and be sort of like the grandpa of Star Wars. Like, he would, he wouldn't have to carry the burden of managing all the films and writing them and creating them. But he could weigh in and he would offer advice, and that advice would be gratefully heeded. And instead, what he found was, no, thanks for the treatments. We're good. We have some of our own ideas about how we're going to raise these new Star Wars babies. And his response was like, oh, well. <clears throat> okay. And like, yeah. And, and I think that, that he took a little bit of umbrage about that as we heard him say, what was it like being sold into white slavery? Oh, or something? Yeah, that was like, a great oh, really, not the greatest choice of words, right? That's what he said, though. No, he, he did said, say yeah, that. I didn't. That's, yeah. Those aren't my words. Well, dialogue <laughs> was never his specialty. Yes, it never was. <laughs> uh, here is George, I think, deserves credit. He is one of the greatest producers who has ever lived. And what does a producer do? There are all sorts of different types of producers. But his strength is putting together an amazing team. He is the Hannibal from A-Team of Hollywood producers. Like, he puts together an amazing team, and he loves it when a plan comes together. Like, uh, and he... <laughs> did somebody groan? <laughs> Stretch that metaphor a little too far. He... <laughs> And that's, in a sense, what he has done here, is that he has created, he has created Star Wars, but the strength of Star Wars was can, never... Can I, just, can I just say, much like the A-Team was on the run from the law, yeah. he was on the run from Hollywood. Yes, he was. It's part of a, <laughs> Star Wars isn't fully George Lucas's thing to claim credit for. Like, he deserves credit for hiring John Williams, who did amazing music, and for hiring Dennis Muren, who did groundbreaking visual effects, and for hiring Ben Burt, who reinvented sound design for the Star Wars film. And, uh, 
and all, and all of these great actors, Harrison Ford and, and, and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, like putting them in the movie. Like he assembles great teams and he has done that again, whether he wants to claim credit for that or not. Like there are things he's not great at. Direct writing is one of them, directing is like another. And uh, you know, not that he's like the worst at them. There are certainly people who are worse, but he's not. He, those aren't his strengths. I think his strength is putting together an amazing team. And I think that there's a great metaphor for George within The Last Jedi when, when Yoda tells Luke, we are what we grow beyond. And that's what's happening, whether he likes it or not. He's handed these things off. The people that grew up with his, under, his, uh, under his films, under his storytelling, are now telling stories of their own. They're the parents. He's the grandpa. And he just has to accept that and kind of roll with it and enjoy it. And it's hard. But I think, I think he'll be okay. <laughs> so are you saying that Ryan Johnson was dissing J.J. Abrams and George Lucas in the script? No, that he was dissing him. No, 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 that's enough. You've said enough. I wish I knew how George felt about Yoda. That was my thing when I was watching it. I was like, oh, I wonder how George is feeling about Yoda being this troll again. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the fact that Frank Oz did it was, I don't know, it's sort of... That, that validating thing about it. What, what do you think, Ash? Did how, you guys how see, first of all, that Frank Oz has a Twitter account and he like fights with people online? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, no, your analogy was way better because I was going to say, I feel like it's like you're in a relationship for a long time and you break up and you like love that person and then they're with someone else and everyone keeps asking you how you feel about their new relationship and you're just like, I don't care. Stop asking me. Yeah. We're not together anymore. Both valid analogies. They're great. This is a good person. We but just come I'm from different done. points yeah, in I our don't lives. I've got to feed my meter. Do you really? He really does. Can I go do that? Yeah, you can do, do that. <laughs> See you later, okay. everybody. But how do you find George Lucas? Like, do you find do, like do you hold his impression of the film at how much importance do you have in that? I think it's important, like, what, with what you were saying with the, the Shakespeare analogy, that was good. But I also think that his, his view is not going to be 100%, not honest, but I just think that he has this, like, when you're look, I, I don't know, it's like the breakup thing. Like, I just don't think that you can look at a film and be like, this is great, I'm so glad I sold this, oh my God. Like, he's never going to do that. Yeah, I just, I just think it's too much. Like, he wanted something, like, he wanted to go watch them, but did he really? I wouldn't want to watch them, would you? Like, I really like Star like Wars. Shh, shh. If, that was, if, that was, if that was yours, would you want to watch them? I wouldn't. Yeah, probably not. Well, I mean, like, he spent his whole career trying to get out of, out of Hollywood and not being a corporate filmmaker. So it was kind of like, I always ex- expected that he was going to walk, that like, it wasn't going to work with, with uh, Disney and him in the end. Like, I was like, the minute it happened, I was like, this is a, a countdown to when this self-destructs because... There was no way, th- like, I, I love the uh, prequel films. I don't think we'll ever get mil- movies like those again. I don't think we'll ever get anything as wild as, as that. Is, I, I hope Ryan Johnson does it with, that, with his new trilogy, but um, I don't think we'll ever get where like, the whole universe is redesigned and moved into a different era. Like, even like what we're seeing in the sequel trilogy right now, it's like, yeah, it's an X-Wing, but it, it's a little bit more sleek. Or, oh, look, the Stormtroopers are iPod-y, but they're still Stormtroopers. <laughs> Kyle, how much importance do you place on George Lucas's impression of the film on the quality of the film? Um, a great amount. 
I think he's a supreme visionary. I think he's up there with Walt Disney over the past 100 years of people that see things and transform culture, the pop culture. Um, can, can I tangent you just now? Yeah. D does that mean that Walt Disney should enjoy all the Pixar films? Like, like how far do you take that? Like correlation? It's different because you know Disney passed. If if he was alive or if he if his I, here's the thing, George Lucas. He, he said one of the saddest things I'd ever heard. I forget the exact quote, but he said something like, the fans don't want me to do anything anymore. They want me dead or something like that. And that was the climate. He was, he was prepping to make sequel films himself. He was moving forward with a studio up near Big Rock next to it. It was like he had, everything was moving forward with this plan to, sh to have a stage to do it. The community didn't even want George Lucas in San Francisco anymore. They're like, get out of here. Fuck you. And he had to like get rid of his property, get rid of his plan. Everybody, our own culture of Star Wars fans pushed him out, made him feel like he was the worst, like he was Satan. And he had to get rid of the thing he loved. This came out of this man's head. Every story, J.R. Martin, whoever, if, uh, J.K. Rowling, she didn't make the films, but this came out of her head and you should hold it up to the standard which she thinks the story should be told. And he created this. This is his universe. Yeah, other people came in and played with his toys and elevated it and made it better. That's what directors and producers do. You set your ego aside and say, come into this. You're better at production design. Go elevate this. You're better at creatures. You go do this. You're better at this. You come in and do a polish. He's brilliant like that, and he accepted that help. He's a genius. He's a visionary. He changed cinema. He changed the way we make cinema. He changed the way we view cinema. Editing. The idea of, of like Avid, Photoshop. Everything sprung out of the the forward progress that he instituted. Also, he always gave back philanthropically, financially to all these things and reinvested it in the art of film. He's a goddamn genius. And you better respect what he says. The fact that we're even like, like people just don't value his importance and they think it's all about money. He was forced out of his company. He didn't want to give up Star Wars. He wanted to go make those sequel films. He realized that we would automatically by default hate them because his name was attached. That's how sad it became that we can't have good things. And I love the prequels, they're not without flaw. I love the stories within them. The movies have their issues. Um, but I've always been a, a prequel fan and defender. And I know that he likes some of these new movies and I know that he doesn't like other ones. So I think he's smart enough and wise enough as a human being to say some are good and some aren't. And some of them are in line with my core intention and I think that's all he can ask for. And I know he's gonna go into it jaded. I know he's gonna be bitter. And you're going to have to really blow him away to get a thumbs up from him. But I know he likes one of them more than the other two. And that's at least what I've heard. So it's not like he's going to hate them all. Does he like the one that involves the Force the less? I don't know. I don't know. The, if I think the one you're talking about, I think it involves the Force the most in a beautiful way. But uh, <laughs> um, I just got Newman. I don't know. Newman! Um, I don't know, and all like it's as I hear things. I want to. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear what the man who created this stuff would think, because he is fortunate. He's alive, so he's seeing. He always said, "I'm going to create Star Wars, so other people can come into my universe and play, and other pass it off to other filmmakers." They always, someone's like, "What about? What do you think of Yoda?" Well, in his original stuff, Yoda came back into a corporeal form with with Obi Wan, and they were able to help in the end fight in the original Return of the Jedi. It's a he explored those ideas. Do you like that idea? I, I, I like that he explored that idea. Okay. I like that he's open to it and he's exploring. Be because that, that is one thing. So in the original Return of the Jedi screenplay, like the original draft, Obi-Wan and Yoda came back as 
physical beings and and helped Luke. Which, after seeing Return of the Jedi, and it's one of, it's my favorite film, it it just seems. Ugh. But an angry YouTuber says they threw out his scripts or his not even scripts, but his outlines, and it's like, well, George Lucas threw out his first outlines. For most of his films as well. Like if you read the comic book The Star Wars, Han Solo is like a green yeah. wizard. But that so, was his very early draft. Yeah, but that's like, so is an outline. That, that's an yeah. earlier draft. So yeah. is it like this criminal thing that... No, he sold it knowing it was going to get thrown yeah, out. But I think if, he but if expect- Disney stuck with those original drafts, then... I think he expected then Obi Wan would have come back in Return of the Jedi. Like that's the equivalency. Where now, if that had happened, you're like, oh, that's that's weird. So they they have to take like those ideas and like the I, from what I gather, the character of Ray is like derived from the character of Kira. Jason could maybe clarify, but that is from a George Lucas outline and, and the whole thing about Luke Skywalker being he's put himself into purgatory or whatever. That's a George Lucas concept. Yes, but it's he's in purgatory, but why and how? Like, in The Force Awakens, it just feels like he went into a purgatory because he made a mistake or needed to learn more. That's why he went to the most mystical spiritual place with the crux of the Jedi knowledge. Why would you go there if your intention was just to die? Why didn't you just go to Ryloth? Like, what do you, it doesn't make it so... It, it felt like J.J. set up something that then they just neglected. But the one thing I, I really wanted out of this, and I think it's important for the nine film Skywalker saga is that Anakin Skywalker regardless of how you feel about Hayden Christensen has to play a part it is the third act of his life and I wanted it to be Anakin instead of Yoda and Yoda's cool and he gets on mugs and coffee cups but Anakin's the badass move for him to say don't do it don't burn it down he's already burned it down and he's like why the hell are you back You've, where have you been for 30 years? He's finally the father or the grandfather he never was. It's more challenging. It's more narratively interesting rather than just going, we don't like Hayden Christensen. That's more interesting that this is Anakin. We just saw him just as equally a ghost as Yoda at the end of Return of the Jedi. I just think that's more badass. So I just felt it was safe. And I was like, where is Anakin? This is Anakin Skywalker's six films, you told me. Where is Anakin in this? And it's, and it's one scene with Hayden Christensen with a different director. And George also is a badass director. Like, if you have not seen American Graffiti or THX, they're fucking awesome. So, he is a good director. What do you know about directing? <laughs> you learn. No, you know what? You, you, I, like, you always learn. Like, I visit everyone's set. I look this process. I can't imagine what Ryan Johnson's going through, stepping into this role, inheriting the most successful domestic film of all time. Like, stepping into that and then trying to still make a movie that makes sense and is enjoyable to him. It's, it's scary and daunting as it is. And, he's, you know, it's... Everyone be kind to him online. He did a great job. He tried stuff. Some worked, some didn't. You know what I mean? It's like I'm excited for Ryan Johnson's trilogy. That's going to be awesome. He's not going to be inhibited by anything that came before. He's not going to be hamstrung by ideas that weren't his own. So that's an exciting thing to see a Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, I always found the thought of Anakin coming back, like he's a ghost. Scary. Better seen than heard. Like what is he going to say? He would have a conversation about failure. Which Anakin would it be? Like, like Hayden Christensen. No, no, but which... He, he's sort of been redeemed, but from what, what era of Anakin is he back to? Like, do you know what I mean? Is he... Is he when he's the yeah, light. Well, his lessons would be about attachment if he was to come in. So if they were going to bring Anakin back, they're going to have to make the, the uh, theme about attachment for the new heroes. And the new heroes so far don't really have that issue. 
or like Kylo, he seems to be detached. So it's like the exact opposite. No, I'm with you. I want and I want Aiden back as Anakin somewhere in the Obi Wan movie. You know, I'll, I'll take it. No, I want him. I want him in the nine Roman, the Roman numeral nine Star Wars. That franchise. I want An- this has been Anakin's thing. I mean, that's how they've retrofitted it to be. He, he, it, we earned it. And is it a challenging scene to write? Yes. But that's but the context of it now. That, right? that, that original version of uh, Jedi had the ghost of Obi-Wan and um, Yoda showing up. The Emperor looks at, at them like, what is that? Vader knows it's his moment, grabs Palpatine, jumps into the lava, and, and kills them both. Then the ghost of Obi-Wan saves the good ghost of of Anakin, and that's how he's that's a ghost at the end. That was no, that was in that was in George Lucas's um, Return of the Jedi script. But point is, is that it had they they could have done that in um, in Force in uh, Last Jedi, they, they they could have taken it there. That that could have been what killed Snoke. That could have been what distracted Snoke for that move to happen. But I don't want it. Podcasts live and breathe off listener word of mouth. A listener just like you. So if you are enjoying this episode of Steel Wars, I urge you to spread the word on social media or wherever you talk Star Wars. The episode announcement will be pinned to both the top of our Facebook and Twitter feeds, making it super easy for you to share or retweet. And trust me, I so appreciate it. And it really works. So please, pod it forward, and we can keep doing super cool episodes like this one. Thanks. Can I tell a story really quick? Because sure. I, wanted, I was telling you this a little bit backstage, and I wanted to bring it up, that yeah. I interviewed Kelly Marie Tran about two days before The Last Jedi came out, or the premiere date, and I asked her what her favorite moment was so far, and she said, in an interview, I have it on video, meeting you, yeah. dressed awesome. as Rose. Thank you for that. That's so weird because I'm not in the Star Wars film. I met you. It was good, but it's way down on the ladder of best things. Oh, no. You just haven't realized. All right. So I saw this thing. Wait a minute. I think, should we interrupt for a moment here? Yeah. We have something over here. I think it's... I thought it was a a glowing force ghost in the back of the room, and it was candles. Steel's birthday's on Monday. Steel's birthday. Old man Sanders. Thank you. Okay, ready? <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to Birthday to you. Happy birthday to, to you. You're a hot dog. <laughs> and this little card, I'll read that in a little sec. I thank you, everyone. That is, and it's on a chocolate eclair, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> to wrap up the podcast, thank you, everyone. That's very kind. Happy birthday. Cheers. Okay, I watched one of my favourite YouTube channels is this really cool channel called Hello Greedo. It's a very sane Star Wars commentary uh, YouTube channel. He's been on the podcast. And he did a YouTube, two YouTube videos, the five things, the five best things about The Last Jedi, the five worst things. Now, I've mixed them up. 
So you don't know whether they were his best or worst. But they're pertinent things. Now, we're short on time. So a quick comment if you have it or just a thumbs up or thumbs down. There's ten things. Keep a count and we'll see if by this highly scientific polling thing if The Last Jedi is a thumbs up or thumbs down for you. All right? Kyle, bear with me on this one. All right. First up, Yoda. Thumbs up, thumbs down, Jason. Thumbs Thumbs up. up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. It's an audio medium. (laughs) (laughs) Thumb up. Okay. Ray and Luke. Thumbs up. I'm in the middle. Uh, Thumbs up or down, Laura? Closer to up. That's an up. I say up. Up. Could have been better. Could have been better. All right. So you're like you're like a Laura with attitude. I'm in the middle, but you said it has to be one or the other. I'll see up pieces down, so it's okay. Okay. So you can go down. It's fine. No, I'll go up first for this one. You going up? Okay. How did you feel about the effect of Yoda? Like the whole puppet? Could have been better. It didn't feel. It was uh, like at first didn't feel it translucent. Was <laughs> yeah, I, my I, action figure was more translucent than the Yoda on screen. I don't know if I'm. I, the puppet looked good. The effect of translucency was poor. The one thing I did like, and I'm not sure if this is just old man talking, but I like a a mixed response puppet Yoda than a mixed response CGI Yoda. Yeah. 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 Sure. Okay. Kylo and Ray, and oh in that God. you can add the the Ray reveal of the parentage. Jason, yeah, thumbs up. Okay, I like that part. Up. Thumbs up. I hated the Raylo ship, and then I was like, you know what? I think I'm into this. No, I'm not into I'm the Raylo ship. All, all three thumbs up. That's the best part. That kept the movie alive. I loved it. When Ray and Kylo, when there was the the death of Snoke, and they went to fight, that was when I was just like. Let's go movie. Yes. I've seen some. I've seen yes. some stuff that I'm just like, wow. But yeah, those two back to back about to take on the Praetorians, which I, I am. I am so curious why they couldn't have just dropped in that. I've got your Knights of Ren thing because it's just like you had six or so dudes. I've got six or so dudes. Choose different weapons. Mm. Snoke's throne room, Jason. Thumbs up. There's there's five and five. You know, and you can say whatever you want, Laura. The scene or the set, like just yeah, the, the scene or the set. No, the just scene, the whole the scene. scene. The scene. The scene is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Up, up. Yeah. Scene, up, yeah. way up. Up, way up. It's awesome. Okay. Yeah. The one bizarre criticism I had of it that I heard, not mine, was how did Snoke not hear the lightsaber scraping? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like if you're worried about that, buddy. It's I kind of wish they didn't even show that. Like, if they just did the whole... Because, like, we predicted it, right? When, once, once it started moving, we were like, oh, okay. Yeah, people said it was too projected, but I enjoyed the ride of just, like, going, you're going to get it, Snoke. That's dramatic get it. irony. Knowing Snoke's going to get it, but he doesn't. That's yeah. fine. Um, people are overthinking it. Admiral Holdo. Thumbs up. Oh, yeah, that's thumbs up. I'm going to have to... Yeah. Up. Thumbs up. up. She's yeah, amazing. my lady. Love her. Down. Down. Ooh. I, uh, if you want an Justice explanation, for Akbar. Uh, just, no, I didn't feel. I felt it was Laura Dern. I, I didn't feel like Mon Mothma or Maidine energy. I just felt an ordinary. I don't know. I don't know. And I didn't like the faux, the faux coup thing happening. I didn't. 
I, I didn't like all that. Sorry, but I didn't no, understand. Down, down, down! Down! We're moving on. It's a fucking down for me. Um, I will have to say, if and this is a problem I've read online, if your problem is the hair colour, there is a green elf that levitates spaceships in the film. So cool. My hair used to literally be that colour. I a Holdo action figure. I, I like it. It's narrative stuff. All right. This could be a bit more contentious. Maz Kanata. Down. Down. I'll go down on that one too, yeah. You know what? Up. She hooked up with Justin Theroux. (laughs) It's like so short too. I was just like, Maz Kanata gets it. I thought the fighting... (laughs) (laughs) She seems a little predatory to me. (laughs) She's always like macking on on yeah. Wookies yeah, and no hackers. I, I relate. <laughs> She's like a golden girl. No, I think it's it's way it's way down for me because it it paid no homage or reverence to who she was established in the other film as a slightly mystical character. She was skyping in a bad. Oh, yeah, that a union dispute is hilarious. No, 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 no. That that is my first of oh, all of these. Terrible. Of all of these, that is my first. Thumbs down. I, I I felt like I was on Star Tours. Somebody went to the bathroom. They came back yeah. and said Maz Kanata was on Skype and told them where to go. And they're like, no, they didn't. And after the movie, they went outside like, was she really in the movie? And they're like, yeah. And, she, and they could not believe she was in the movie. It was the worst use of a cool character. It, it was such a waste of Lapita. Like, she's yeah. so wonderful. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's it? How does she even know Poe? He's like, I got an idea. She hated Finn two days ago. What? That didn't yeah. make sense. It's terrible. <laughs> But Maz Kanata from midway through The Force Awakens just got so... They never said goodbye to her. Then the storyline totally ignores that she just got made homeless like three days ago in the storyline. And then the jetpack. It's in a trade she dispute? hooked up with Justin Moreau. Hilarious. Dude. Give me a hologram Billy D. Williams for that one. That yeah. would be... Oh, yeah. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. I got one of your applauses. I'm so happy. <laughs> Leia flying. Thumbs down. Thumbs, thumbs down. Thumbs up. I love that. Yeah. Oh. I, I'm going to go thumbs down. I think it would have been more effective in, in a different way. Like she, it could have been like instant instead of being like 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, for me, it's a thumbs down. It would have yeah. been, been thumbs up if she... Flew the ship through the supremacy. She sacrificed for the rebellion. Luke sacrificed for the Jedi. They went out as twins. They came in as twins. She even, she even flies right through the hologram of the supremacy, foreshadowing it. They didn't seize the opportunity. No, 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 no. no. It's not no. good. Okay. Down. Okay, I, I'm not debating your thumbs down, but would you have sacrificed the yes. Leia Luke scene? Yes. Oh, we do. Same. Jesus. Easy. No. Easy. Yes. Damn. And, and it's not and about making everyone happy. It's about doing what the story demands. Well, they already connected, like mentally. They could have just done that again earlier they in the connected. film. They could have connected, Done. like. And, All right. Yeah. All right. Rose saving Finn on crate. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Up. Down. I think. I think John Boyega should have gone down. Yeah. I'll give it an or up, not John. I guess I'll Finn. give the moment an up of saving, but she should have died after. So Ooh, okay. I'm I'm a thumbs down. I wanted everyone to live, but I thought how that was done was a little bit bizarre. And I also think if either of them died, it would have been emotionally 
nothing because Luke Skywalker just died, so we wouldn't have had the impact of them. Save their death for when it's their solo death. Like, if you're like, he didn't oh my God, yet. Luke Skywalker died, and Rose. Like, it's just... Yep. Like, dramatically, it doesn't add up. Well, it gave us the best quote. That's why I really enjoyed it, too. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I do love that people diss that quote as corny when it's just a pricey of a Martin Luther King quote and you're calling him corny. Okay, good values. <laughs> uh, we've said enough about that. The whole Canto Bite sequence, Jason. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I felt like it was useful. Yeah. Um, on my third viewing, it's an up. <laughs> Down. Wow. And um, Brian Young actually did a great. Uh, I wanted about to that. feel chemistry if that's what was going. I didn't. In hindsight, I watched it many times now, and I'm hoping for something more on a creature level. Cool. But it's, the it's worst. Not. The worst was, uh, and I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I thought his slow and low slow was and low. the most obnoxious character in the movie. If if Maz didn't tell them to go there, I would have probably liked it better. It had, what was she? What, uh, it was like Foghorn Leghorn in Star Wars. Yeah, give a parking ticket. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Lovett's character the actual actor is Details that's been on our show a couple of times and uh, he was one of the gamblers in The Force Awakens and he was a droid at the start of Rogue One as well he's like a massive Star Wars fan that does all this creature work so I was very happy about that I um, the people that complain about Canobite for the CGI of the Faviers it's a Star Wars film. You've signed up for a questionable CGI sequence in the middle of the film. Dude, you've got the Raptors, you've got uh, Ball Gullet, you've got the Faviers. Deal with it, all right? In the middle of the film, there's going to be a CGI sequence that some of you are not going to like. All right, Luke on Crate Jason. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Loved it. Thumbs up. The biggest thumbs up. Thumbs up is badass. I'm a massive thumbs up. He was Clint Eastwood in Star Wars. I love mm-hmm. it. It's like so is so well directed, like a great little samurai scene where barely any strokes from it. It's so good. Yeah. Alright, so Jason, what are you out of ten? Eight out of ten. Oh my god, I was supposed to Laura? count. Oh, for what? <laughs> for the movie? No, no, no. Like uh, how many the thumbs, thumbs up, up, thumbs down. I did yeah. preface at the start to count. I didn't keep count. I didn't keep count. Oh. I think I did two thumbs down. How many thumbs down did you do? I think maybe three, four. Four thumbs down, I think. I didn't start six. Six out of ten. I think I was eight. Yeah, I think I was eight. I think I was four down. I had a couple (laughs) 50-50s that I had to... I think you were 50-50. I think I was four down and six up. Six. So you're six out of ten. I think I'm seven out of ten. Thus concludes. I hope everyone enjoyed the debate, the discussion... Saved a lot of lives and, here. And this is what it's about. We like these films. We're sane. There's bits that some of us like. There's bits of us some of us don't. And just discuss it without all this like stupidity that embarrasses Star Wars fandom as a whole. So thanks so much for coming, you guys. Thank you to Jason Ward, Laura Kirkill, Anthony the Brez Bresnikan, Ash Crozen, and Kyle Newman. Huge thanks to JC and all the crew at the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Stick around because I'm going to be getting super drunk because it's Australian. Let's do it. And my birthday birthday on Monday. You're not already drunk? Thanks also to the Black Series Rebels guys for recording it. Really appreciate that. The controversy is over. 
because all we've got for the end of the year is a film about Han Solo that has been totally without controversy for its whole production. <laughs> what can go wrong? I'm Seal Saunders and I do love Star Wars. Thank you very much. Hey, you guys. I hope you enjoyed that huge panel of Star Wars minds recorded at the Scum and Villainy fan cantina in Hollywood, California. Huge shout out to Kyle Newman, Ash Crozen, Laura Syracuse, Jason Ward, and the Brez, Anthony Bresnikan, for lending their time and their Star Wars minds to a really fun discussion about The Last Jedi. Uh, as I mentioned during the show in one of the plugs, if you guys can just send a retweet or a share on Facebook and spread the word about this episode. I think it's going to be a good episode for Star Wars fans, for lovers and detractors of The Last Jedi to get their ears around and, and hear a bunch of varying opinions, hear why people didn't like a certain thing in a reasonable way, hear why people loved another thing in an equally reasonable way. I'm, uh, I'm really proud of the episode, and uh, I hope you can share it. And if you are one of those new listeners that has been brought in by this episode, welcome. And please check out our back catalogue of episodes. There is a vast amount of Star Wars chat, knowledge, and laughs for you on the Steel Wars feed. All the guests that appeared on today's episode are on previous episodes. You can also get new episodes with uh, Corey D. Williams, Billy D. Williams' son, talking about life at the Sarlacc Pit while filming Return of the Jedi. We've got Mitch Dyer from EA talking about writing the storyline for Battlefront 2. Collider's Christian Harloff talking about the origins of Collider Jedi Council. Sam Witwer from Star Wars Rebels with his passionate plea for Dave Filoni to direct a live-action Star Wars film. And for more coverage of The Last Jedi, check out our trilogy of reaction podcasts from the week of release. Episode 154 is an analytical look with Jason Ward of MakingStarWars.net directly after we first saw the movie. Episode 155 is an emotional reaction podcast with my wife, Jacqueline, focusing on my hero, Luke Skywalker. And episode 156 is a hilarious look at The Last Jedi with our infamous 2.30am reaction podcast back in Melbourne, Australia with some of Australia's funniest Star Wars-loving comedians. All up free at steelwars.com, iTunes, or wherever good podcasts are downloaded. Another fun thing that we do almost every week is a live call-in show where you can Skype or call in, just like Talkback Radio for Star Wars fans. And a really fun recent one of that is episode 50. It's our 2018 Listener Star Wars Prediction Show with Mr. Sunday Movies from the Weekly Planet, where listeners from all around the world called in with their Star Wars news or storyline predictions 
in 2018. Some huge calls of things people are predicting to happen. And then at the end of the year, we'll go through them all and find out who won, which is what we did on episode 49 of The Call-In Show with Nick Mason of The Weekly Planet. So join us, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at Steel Wars. And if you want a very sane and reasonable place to chat Star Wars on Facebook, we have the Steel Wars Star Wars Safe Haven, where it's just a safe place where you can talk about your Star Wars opinions without someone else attacking you with internet fury, which there is a fair bit at the moment. Uh, You can get a link for that at steelwars.com or off our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash steelwars. If you want to get some merch, we have got the Your Snoke Theory Sucked, the new version of the Your Snoke Theory Sucks t-shirt, about to start shipping. You can get those on the merch store at steelwars.com plus a bunch of other really fun Star Wars parody designs. And if you want to support the podcast in a small financial way each month and get a grip of bonus content and access to the full-length versions of all our archive shows, join us at patreon.com forward slash steelwars and for just $3 a month, you get a grip of bonus shows. Uh, We do the Making Steel Wars show, where Jason Ward of MakingStarWars.net and I go into the news behind the Star Wars news. And we had some banging episodes in the lead-up to The Last Jedi. Uh, I do a almost weekly Q&A, a a listener Q&A, which, because of uh, hitting uh, 300 patrons, we're now going to do in video form as well as audio. Uh, You get extended versions of the weekly call-in show, as well as the Robbo Report, where notorious call-in show listener Robbo and I dig into his very strange views on Star Wars. And uh, they're opinionated, they're well thought out, and I enjoy listening to them. So, so much bonus content if you want to join us on Patreon. But if you want to just support us in a non-financial manner, hey, we love it when you go on iTunes and drop a sweet five-star review as it bumps us up the rankings and uh, lets other potential listeners know we're doing good stuff. Also, we'll be uploading uh, a fair bit of this episode up into YouTube into little subject Setting. So if you want to uh, watch what went down, go to youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars and uh, you'll be able to see a bunch of clips from the show as well as tons of other clips. I've got interviews with um, Ryan Johnson, Kathleen Kennedy, um, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran, one-on-one interviews with those guys on the video feed on YouTube. And I just got sent a bunch of video from the other live episode I did with Kyle Newman, and I'll be putting up some chunks of that as well. So check that out at youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, tweet us what you thought of of that show, if who you agreed with, who you disagreed with. Keep it sane. But we're here to uh, discuss everyone's thoughts and feelings that are rational, 
about Star Wars and The Last Jedi. Thank you guys so much. So appreciate it. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to the audience that sold the place out. And may that force be with you. This episode of Steel Wars is brought to you by Harry's Shavers. Harry's is so confident that you are going to love their blades that they're going to give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars or just click the link in the show notes. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Also, for more Star Wars podcasting, check out the Making Star Wars Podcast Network at makingstarwars.net. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.